We're in week two of a series, six-week series called Derailed, and we're excited about this. This series is to help us walk through uh, disappointment, loss, grief as people, and it's to help us know how to help other people walk through loss, grief, and disappointment. And I want to be clear that at some point in your life, you will need this. You'll be walking with someone who's uh, been derailed in their life, or you yourself or your spouse will be derailed in life. So at some point you will need it. So um, I would encourage you, you might want to take notes. You might want to save these bullet uh, bulletin panels. You might want to, if you miss one of these six, you might want to go online and watch it. Um, I would also say our daily scriptures, again, are focused on this all week long. So if this is touching you, you know, I'd say invest in this. And I know that you will need this information because my experience of walking with other people tells me I need it to help them. My experience of our loss tells me I'll need it. And Jesus announced that we would need it in John chapter 16. We have a slide. It says this. Jesus is talking to his guys, his inner circle. And he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Disappointment, loss, grief. It's going to be a part of this broken world. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. I see pain in the world wherever I look. Pain, loss, grief are a part of being a human being. They're a part of living this life. And this series is tied together by six stages. And um, Jeff introduced this last week in the series. So shock, sorrow, struggle. And then the later three, surrender, sanctification, and service. Now, these stages are descriptive, not prescriptive. And what I mean by that is that your experience is your experience. No one's telling you that you need to go through stage one and then stage two and then stage three. We simply believe that in some way, both our experience and the Bible says these are the stages people go through as they have disappointment, uh, loss, and grief. Uh, I did an interview after our loss for Sunnybrook Community Church in Sioux City, big church there, a lot like us. I did a video interview with them, and the pastor was doing a series like this. And a lady came up to him after that teaching and said, Dave, uh, said to Jeff, who's the pastor there, Jeff, I went through all six stages in one day when my husband died. And Jeff gave her a hug and said, I believe it. We're not telling you how to go through them or anything like that. In fact, just yesterday, I was at a piano recital for my grandkids. And I think I was in four or five of these stages all at once. I was in shock and I was in sorrow and I was in struggle and I was actually in celebration for how good they were doing. So this is not, uh, this is not like an order or anything, but it's like this is what's going to happen. So last week, let me remind you what Jeff taught. He taught that when we're going through shock, what we're calling stage one, we need to cry out to God and we need to let others help. That's the two things. So if you're in shock this morning, Cry out to God and let others help. And if you're walking with somebody in shock, then what Jeff taught was we need to show up, we need to share their pain, and we need to take initiative. And my family was here listening to Jeff last week, and especially my wife said, Dave, tell people you show up in a hundred different ways. You show up 
by sending a card. You show up by mowing a lawn. You show up by bringing a casserole. You show up by praying. There's a lot of ways to show up. So today, uh, my work is to deal with uh, what we're calling stage two, which is uh, sorrow. And so first thing I want to say is loss is unavoidable, but grief is a choice. You have to choose to grieve and experience the sorrow. A lot of people choose not to. They stuff the sorrow and the grief. They deny it. They try to get through all the losses without grieving. And I want to say that's a big mistake. Let's start here. You're losing things all the time. And there's no loss without pain. And because we don't like to lose things, uh, grief is a choice. And you have to choose to let grief in. You have to allow it. You have to allow yourself to feel it. And in some cases, you have to put yourselves in places that cause you to feel it. People say, well, why would I want to feel the grief? That's too hard. That's too painful. Why would I want to go through that? First, let me say this, especially this morning. When I talk about grief, your first thought is going to be like at a gravesite burying someone you love. But there's lots of other kinds of losses. There's hundreds of kinds of losses. Some of you have lost your health. Some of you have lost your job. Some of you have lost the ability to drive. You've lost a friend. You've lost your finances. Hundreds of things you can lose. And every one of those need to be grieved. Because grief is unpleasant. I'm saying this again. People try to avoid it. They want to stuff it. They want to put it aside. Um, people actually have said to me, I'm not going to grieve. I'm going to get on with my life. I'm going to deny it. I was taught this as a little boy. The, fr- the phrase in our family was, big boys don't cry. And so for decades, I've had a hard time crying because when I was a little guy, I said, I'm going to be a big boy and I'm not going to cry. And uh, Kelly Lance was in the service I taught last week on this and she was scribbling notes like crazy. Our junior high director, I said, Kelly, what are you, what are you doing? She said, Dave, I've never been taught anything on grief, but in our family, the saying was, cowgirl up. Cowgirl up. And um, what we want to say is you have to do it the opposite. You have to allow yourself in the right time and the right space to grieve. Not grieving is the cause of many problems. Unresolved, unmourned grief. There are things that happen to you as a child. There are things you've lost. And if you, it's like a beach ball. If you don't let it up, you're going to hold it down, hold it down, hold it down. And in 5, 10, 15, 25 years, it's going to pop up in a way that uh, destroys your life in some phase. So uh, number two, so uh, loss is inevitable. Grief is a choice. Number two, grief is healthy. It's healthy. In fact, it's the only healthy response to loss. Now, remember, you can lose anything, a job, a career. You could have infertility. Uh, You could lose a a marriage engagement, serious financial problems, stillbirth, all kinds of different things. You could lose a limb. You could lose a breast. You can lose all kinds of things. We all have losses. And grief, uh, letting that air out of that beach ball that you're holding underground is important. Uh, grief is without a doubt the most painful emotion we'll have in life and it's also the most helpful. Grief is God's tool for getting you through transitions. If you don't grieve in your losses, then you get stuck 
And some of you are stuck and you're 50 years old and you're still stuck at age 14 because there was something you should have grieved and you didn't. You haven't learned to do good grief. And I mean, I mean, I'm a beginner at this. Here's what the Bible says about how Jesus handled grief. Uh, John 11:33. we have a slide. When Jesus saw her weeping, this is Mary Magdalene, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was troubled. And he said to Mary, where have you laid him? Come see, Lord, she replied. And then Jesus wept. Now, why did he weep? He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He didn't weep for Lazarus' death. He wept for the pain in those who were around him. He was grieving for the pain his loved ones were having. Uh, There are two unhealthy reactions to loss. Number one is called repression. I unconsciously hold the beach ball down and don't grieve. Number two is called suppression, which is I consciously have decided to hold the beach ball down. I intentionally say I'm not going to think about that hurt. I'm not going to think about the pain. It's a mistake. And I see this all the time. People as adults who are doing all kinds of bad behavior because they never grieved over an alcoholic dad or an unloving mother or mistreatment or prejudice or or bigotry that they experienced. They never grieved over physical or emotional abuse. And if you don't grieve over the losses in your life, then they're going to come out in unhealthy ways. A friend of mine called me one Saturday morning. And this friend said, Dave, I have to see you right away this morning. There's no choice. You have to see me. So I came over and I saw him. And he said, Dave, I don't believe in drinking, but I drank way too much last night. And I don't believe in immoral behavior, but I was this close to doing some immoral behavior. And he looked me in the eye and he said, why? Why would a man who believes what I believe get drunk and come that close to making that big of a mistake that would ruin his family? And we talked, and there were two things over the last two years that he had not allowed himself to grieve. And they were coming out in that kind of behavior. Loss is unavoidable. Grief is a choice. You have to choose to enter into it because it's healthy. Now, you can't, like, grieve 24-7. You can't just be a basket case day in and day out all the time. But you have to find a way that helps you appropriately manage this grief. So for me, you, you, you all know I'm grieving. I'm still grieving. I cry many days. Not every day now, but many days. And part of it is I put myself in those situations. So I go to the cemetery, and you've heard this, and I sing, and I cry, and I kneel. And last Saturday, I was at the cemetery and uh, standing by the gravesite of our three loved ones, there was a brand new grave feet away. And a 25-year-old guy, I think, drove a big Jeep up. And while I'm standing there singing, he walks over and he kneels at this new grave, 25 years old, jeans and a sweatshirt, and he just starts to cry. 
And I didn't talk to him. But I said in my head, good job. Good job. You're not holding the beach ball down. You're letting it come up. And it's so important. I'll go and sit in Charlie Bailey Ben's bedroom. And I'll just feel the feelings. And some of you need to do this about something you've not grieved yet. Number three, God grieves with me. God grieves with me. Um, In fact, our whole ability to grieve and to feel this actually comes from God. The only reason we have emotions is because God has emotions. And you were created in the image of God, so God gave you the ability to have emotions. The reason you grieve is because God grieves. God gets sad. God weeps. God feels pain. He felt a lot of pain when Jesus was on the cross. And so one of the reasons I love being a follower of Christ these days is because this is the only major religion where we understand that God actually felt pain with us. Last week when I taught right at this point, I actually said something that was wrong. And I've been notified several times that what I said was wrong. I said, uh, we're cre- we grieve because uh, we're made in the image of God and we're humans and um, animals don't grieve and they don't feel things. And actually there were texts that were sent right at that moment <laughs> saying, I love Dave Bartlett and I usually trust his teaching, but he's wrong on this one. I said, cows don't grieve, worms don't grieve, elephants don't grieve. Crazy. It's not in the Bible. And it's not true. Uh, I actually watched an online deal about elephants grieving this week. There's tons of them. (laughs) Aaron and Kaya and my family are here. They set me straight. Uh, They told me about Shadow, our dog. And how he crazy happy he was to see Aaron and Kaya. And then I watched as he still looked for Ben, Charlie, and Bailey. So, just saying, sometimes we make mistakes. <laughs> the Bible says God isn't standing on the sidelines. He actually enters into our grief. Psalm thirty-four, eighteen says this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. Circle the word close. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Maybe your heart was broken this week, maybe this month, maybe this year. Maybe it's been broken for a long, long time. The Bible says God is close to the brokenhearted. And if you're not sensing him there, look again. Because the promise is if you're brokenhearted, if you're sad, if you're grieving, God is close. He's as close as he can get. And you just need to tune into him. Fourth thing. Loss is unavoidable. Grief is a choice. Um, we must choose to grieve. Uh, we must... Uh, God grieves. And fourth one. Grief is healed in community. You're not going to get well on your own. Nobody gets well on their own. We're better together. We need each other. It's amazing in all of the creation. It's so clear. God created the sun. It was good. God created darkness and uh, minerals and animals. And they were all good, 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 good. God created uh, the sun, moon, and stars. It's good. This is in Genesis 1. Then God created a man. 
First time the Bible says, this is not good. Because what? The man needed community. The man needed a helper. And then he created a woman to be with a man and they were together. And what did he say? This is very good. Now, this isn't about whether you're married or not, which is irrelevant at this point. This is about the fact that you need people in your life. You need relationships as you walk through grief and sadness and loss. The Bible says, Galatians 2, carry each other's burdens And in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, when I'm in pain, you're supposed to like walk with me. And when you're in pain, I'm supposed to help you carry your pain. But when either of us is in grief, we need to carry each other's pains. We're to support each other. This has been a lifesaver for our family. People have helped us carry our grief. One of the greatest gifts, we had each other as a family, and they're here. And uh, Aaron and Kaya moving in with us to have a little more community was a gift. Kaya bounding down the stairs in the morning making fun of Grandpa was a gift of joy to start the day. Uh, giving Aaron a hug uh, was a gift. Uh, walking with Lynn just through all of this together is a gift. It's been a lifesaver. And lots of family and friends one week, I, I've learned quite a bit about this, so one week, a week after the funeral, I get two phone calls in 10 minutes. Here's what it was like. First phone call, a good friend says, Dave, we'll do anything. Help us know what we can do. Like, whatever, and my, my mind is foggy, and I'm going, I don't think there's anything. If I know anything, I'll call you back. Less than 10 minutes later, Kara Vanderwill calls me and says, Dave, I'm bringing supper on Thursday or Friday. Which do you want? And I covered the phone, and I said, Lynn, Do we want supper Thursday or Friday? She said Friday. Friday. (laughs) See, it really matters how you ask the question when you're walking with people. Because I could not come up with a list of things I needed. I could not. Uh, I was in Florida. Oh, gosh, so many of you have helped. I was in Florida, and I couldn't think clearly. And like Dave here helped us get airplane tickets. And uh, Kurt, he's somewhere here serving communion. He helped us get some business things handled. And at one point I said to one of the elders of the church, what else should I be thinking about? And they had three or four things. And I couldn't, I'm a good leader and I couldn't think. So we need to be there for each other. Don't judge people by whether they show up or not. Some people cannot show up for your tragedy or your loss because of emotional pain they're already in that you don't even know about. Or this has keyed something in them. So celebrate and thank God for those who show up. And don't hold any resentment or any concern about those who don't show up. Just don't do it. Um, don't judge because it isn't going to be good for your heart and it's not going to be good for your relationship. Romans twelve fifteen is another verse. I've, I've used this as a definition of loving for years. It says this, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Uh, especially when we're thinking about loving our enemies, often we want to rejoice when they mourn and we want to mourn when they rejoice. And the Bible says, no, if you're going to live in community, then rejoice when they rejoice and mourn when they mourn. Circle mourning. 
grief is healed in community. It won't be, it won't be healed apart from community. Uh, let me share a couple more tips. One is when someone's in pain, comparing never comforts. In other words, let me give you an example. If you came up to me and said, Dave, I lost a son and I know what you're going through, I would go bonk. Thanks for playing. It's not true. Your relationship with your son was different than my relationship with my son. And so don't do comparisons as you're walking with people. Don't do it. Uh, if your mom died and my mom died, we had a whole different history with our moms. Let's just simply say, I'm really sorry your mom died. Don't try to say, I know what you're going through. Another hint. Words are overrated. And advice is almost never helpful. This is just my experience. Words are overrated. Uh, one of the greetings I got... Guy stood in line for two and a half hours at our visitation. I could see he was waiting, tears rolling down his eyes. He walked up to me. He gave me a big hug and said nothing, not one word. And then he went on to care for Aaron and Linda. And I don't know if he said words to them or not. And that's one of the greetings I remember. Because I knew without words, he was there. I said to so many of you who stood in line at the visitation, I said, I'm so sorry you stood in line for two and a half hours. And several of you said, if I didn't want to, I wouldn't have. Buck up a little bit, Dave. Uh, words are, and advice. Advice is not helpful. I don't need to be reminded that Ben, Charlie, and Bailey are in heaven. I think about that every day. I don't need you to remind me of that. I don't need you to remind me that I'm going to get better. In fact, some of that advice giving actually can hurt people. And so, uh, uh, words are overrated. Fifth thing, grief takes time. Grief takes time. Uh, it's not overcome quickly. Uh, I'll give it 48 hours or I'll give it six months or 30 days. No. Uh, some people like have actually asked me, now these are not the emotionally intelligent ones really, but some people have asked me like, Dave, are you over it yet? I'm never going to be over it. Ever. I'm going to walk through it. We're not going to get over it. You, you have a stillborn baby born? That's a part of your narrative the rest of your life. You never get over it. You move on, you walk through it, you never get over it. Grief takes time. Uh, we'll get through it. Ephesians 3, 1 through 4 says this, There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. These are the two rails, right? On the one rail, we're going to party. On the other rail, we're going to cry and grieve and experience loss. And it's full of opposites. And you have to be able to have good days and the party and also bad days and the grief. A time to be sad. If you only enter into the parties of life, you're experiencing half of life. The grief side is the part that actually causes you to grow. That's later in the series. The word season. Grief is a season. Circle the word season. Um, Brian Steenhook and Pat came back from Haiti recently and they told me that a young mother had died 
and they stepped out of the compound and you could hear around the neighborhoods in all these huts verbal grieving. You could hear weeping and mourning and lamenting. And their culture actually does it better than us. They actually let it go and do it more publicly. We need to learn from them. Alice recently taught what lamenting is. The Bible's big on lamenting, which is telling God what we're sorrowful about. And uh, as soon as Alice taught that, I went and did a little study of lamenting. And lamenting is a form of worship. When I simply tell God, God, I'm brokenhearted here. And I'm maybe a little mad at you. And I'm struggling. That's a form of worship, lamenting. (sighs) Don't try to fix everybody the first thing out of the gate. Just let them have a season uh, to grieve. And if your kids get hurt or have a hurt, don't make the first thing, hey, quiet down, be a big boy, cowboy up. There's a place to teach toughness. But when you're emotionally hurt, let our children experience that and learn how to lament and uh, cry. Sometimes I think making noise is more harmful to the parents than like actually feeling the loss. If you don't grieve, it's going to come out in your life in bizarre behaviors and hang-ups and problems. And so um, go ahead and grieve this. Grief is healthy. It's the only healthy response to loss. I want to say one more uh, series of things. If you've had a grief in the past, you may need to deal with that now. And four things. You may want to write down the losses that you haven't grieved. So if you never really let yourself grieve that divorce or that stillborn birth or that dream that you had, you know, to be this and it never worked out, if you then list those. Talk to God about them. Feel them. Number two, identify the layers of the loss. You know, I, I just learned this with, uh, I'm, I'm just learning it with uh, the three that we lost. When I lost Ben, I didn't just lose a son and a best friend. I lost a whole bunch of dreams that I had for me and Ben and Charlie and Bailey. And so did our family, you know. The dream of Ben walking Bailey down the aisle. That's a loss. I ought to write that down. I ought to remember that. I ought to feel that pain. The loss of uh, Ben, Charlie, and me golfing this coming summer. I ought to write it down. and I ought to let myself feel that. Identify. Have the courage to lament. Talk to God about it. And number four, ask Jesus to heal your broken heart. Ask Jesus to heal your broken heart. Okay. It seems like every time I'm up here and we're going to introduce communion, it seems like it's a perfect place for it. And this, I think, is the perfect place for communion. Remember what I said? We have a God who knows pain and experience pain, and knows every part of your pain. And when we take this little piece of bread in just a minute and hold it, what does it represent? It represents the painful death of the body of Jesus. And when we hold the little cup, what does it represent? It represents the blood that flowed out of him as he experienced pain for us. So here's the verse. 
While they were eating, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take this, it is my body. And he could have said, and he did say in other places, broken body. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he offered it to them and they all drank from it. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Do this in remembrance of me. What are we remembering? That God suffered pain for you. He allowed himself to die on a cross. And really the wrath of God poured out on that sin for us. So as you hold the bread and as you hold the cup today, may it be a holy experience. May it be a a time of thanking God that he suffered pain for you and that he knows pain and that he welcomes lamenting from you. Let's pray. Dear God, uh, you uh, told us to do this 2,000 years ago. You said, do this in remembrance of me. Pass the bread, pass the cup. Remember the broken body and the spilt blood of Jesus. And remember it's for me, for us. And Father, if somebody in the room has never come to know you, I pray that in this very moment they might cross that line of faith and for the first time take the cup and the bread. And for those of us who follow you, Christ, may this be a time of remembering. In the name of Jesus, amen.